Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. I'm John Warren. It is good to be with you. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. Our website is johnwarrenmedia.com. My guest today is a special guest. He's a good friend. His name is Rick Kempton. He is the superintendent of Annapolis Area Christian School and head of that school. He's a graduate. He received his master's from Pepperdine University, and he has served in his current position for nine years. He has spent much of his adult life in Christian education, and I have appreciated his friendship over the years and look forward to you meeting him today. Welcome, Rick. Thank you very much, John. I, uh, this is a privilege. I thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to visit with you today. Well, I'm excited about this because I have heard your story from you, and I've heard it in bits and pieces over a number of years, but I'm wondering if you could just uh, talk about who Rick Kempton is, talk about your life, and take us up through your present role, but if you could go back to California and and talk about who Rick Kempton is, I think that'd be valuable for the listener. Happy to do that. Uh, I would begin by just saying that I, I'm blessed to, uh, to grow up in a, in, a, in a household with a mom and a dad that were both uh, committed uh, in their faith to Jesus Christ. Born in Los Angeles, raised in that, and there, there spent my entire life in Southern California and um, until just the last nine years. And uh, came from a house of, uh, I had two younger brothers. Uh, we had an interest in all the things that, uh, that young men t- at that stage of life tended to be involved in. So, if there was a ball involved, we were in, involved in it. And um, so lots of, lots of stuff with athletics. And in fact, athletics and in, in particular basketball became uh, kind of my deal. And I was actually where I was pretty good at it and, and um, thought I was going to be headed to, to San Diego State to play basketball there. And, and uh, by halfway through my senior year, I sustained a serious knee injury that required surgery and uh, with with that kind of injury at that stage of where we were with how we dealt with sports injuries, knee injuries, you know, from a medical standpoint, San Diego had no interest in me. And, and, um, but my youth pastor was a graduate of Biola University there in Southern California. And he introduced me to the basketball coach who had, who had seen me play interestingly and had, had chosen not to, to pursue me because he'd heard that I was already pretty committed to, to San Diego and, and so I decided, you know, I rehabbed from my knee. And in that summer after my senior year, I decided that I would attend Biola University. And they had a short summer program where I played some, some games against some community, mostly community colleges that summer. And right at the end of it, uh, I re-injured my knee. Oh, no. And uh, to the degree that, uh, you know, it, it probably was going to put my, my next season of basketball in jeopardy and. But the coach never followed up with me. Um, the last few weeks of summer came and went, and I went to enroll as one of the um, students that had an opportunity to register to classes early. And they didn't have a, have a 
indication that I was supposed to be there. So I went down to see the basketball coach and um, he, uh, you know, rather sheepishly apologized and said, oh my gosh, I'm sorry I had to give a scholarship to somebody else. And I, you know, at that point, I would have told people I'm going to, I'm going to Biola, it's a Christian college. I want to, I want to go to a Christian college and play basketball. But what was clear to me based on my reaction was I became angry with God. Basketball was my God. Mm. And that had been taken away from me. And I thought I was blaming God for what um, were circumstances that laid in my, in my path. And so it was August. I, where am I going to go to school? Um, I had good grades in high school. I could have gone to, you know, pretty much any college that I wanted to. Um, so I enrolled at the local community college. My uh, pride was hurt. But, uh, you know, consistent with how God works, uh, I met my future wife there. Mm. You know, had I gone a different way, had I gone to San Diego or to Viola, I'd have never met Barbara. And so I battled with uh, my, my anger for a couple of years. And she and I married in June of 1972 and um, began our life together. I was still pretty sideways with God, but we decided to attend a church where somebody told me that they had a church basketball team. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> imagine, so we, imagine that. Yeah, that was the hook again, you know, with my priorities still out of whack. But that's where we went to church and we were there for 42 years. We raised our children there. And, uh, you know, recommitted my life to Christ, got very involved in the school, I mean, the church there, graduated from college and ended up going from community college to finishing up at Cal State Fullerton after, again, trying to play basketball at the Chico State that re-injured in my league again Mm. and lost the opportunity. And so at uh, Cal State Fullerton, finished my degree got a job teaching my what I really wanted to do was to teach high school English and coach basketball and that's what I I got a job doing back in the school district that I had grown up in. My desire there was to make a difference in the lives of kids. And um as I was getting comfortable with my new career, uh, I was also growing in my relationship with Jesus. I was getting back on track and getting focused on who he was and and so I, I took the opportunity to begin talking to the teams I coached about Jesus, sharing my testimony, uh, being as open as I could. This was, you know, over 40 years ago. So things were different, even in California, where it was easy to do that. Kept my Bible on my desk, where it was clearly visible to students. asked, you know, they had leading questions that would give me an opportunity to share my faith. And, and uh, There was no chance of getting canceled back then. No, it was not. It was, uh, nobody was, I mean, the, the culture was, at least neutral, you know, to that. It wasn't uh, as much as it is today where it's just uh, right. completely against that. And in 1978, California had an initiative on the ballot called Proposition 13, and it changed the way that schools were funded. And it passed. And as a result of its passing, I got laid off. I've been there 10 years, more than 10 years, or almost 10 years. At that time, I hadn't been there that long. But um, got laid off, and at the same time, Barbara was diagnosed with cancer. Uh, she had a tumor growing inside the tibia of her left leg. Mm. We had two little girls, both under the age of three. I didn't have a job, and she was facing uh, the amputation of her left leg. 
I can still remember I was walking out of church one Sunday anticipating Barbara's upcoming surgery at UCLA and one of my one of the older gentlemen in the church uh, got me aside and said um, he said Rick Romans 8 28 all things work together for good to those who love God and call according to his purpose and he patted me on the shoulder and walked away and uh, I did not feel hugged <laughs> I did not feel <laughs> encouraged by that at that moment but as a result of, of Barbara's cancer and she had an experimental surgery that had not been done before where they took tibia from a cadaver and transplanted it into her leg. She was in a hospital for months. Funding was restored into most California schools. And so I got my job back late in August and um, the cancer came back. She had her surgery in, in June of that year and the cancer came back. Another older gentleman in my church at that time said, Rick, you know, we heard Barbara's cancer is coming back. They're going to amputate her leg. We're talking to a psychologist. We're meeting with a prosthesis maker. He says, would you like to have the elders come over to your house and lay hands on her? And he reads me the scripture from James. And uh, I said, absolutely. And so they came to my home and they anointed her with oil with our senior pastor and prayed. And next week she had surgery and I've shared this story with John, but it's a, it was a miracle. They went. They told us it would be about a four-hour surgery. It lasted much longer than that. Uh, they don't have. There wasn't the technology and uh, the things that were available today to uh, for us weren't available then. So they they biopsied the same area that they had they had found the, the occurrence of the cancer, and it was gone. Mm. And they um, didn't have a good explanation for it. It was far more than four hours, more than double the hours that we uh, were not able to see Barb. But when I came back to her room and I touched her leg, she had her leg. The doctor came in and told me that that she, um, all they could find was fibrous tissue. And I said, well, how do you explain that? He goes, well, I don't know. You know, it's, I said, it's a miracle. And I told him what happened and he kind of smiled at me. And so we, mm-hmm. we believe that was a miracle. Was, and that, that episode of life has been instrumental. And for Barbara, I think it unearthed her Spiritual gift. Her spiritual gift is evangelism, mm-hmm. and she loves to tell people of the story. She's had thirteen surgeries since then, most of them to repair the legs, not no further recurrence of the cancer. Mm. So I continued uh, my job at uh, the school district, and uh, in Rick, what year was that? That summer where you're you're unemployed. And I mean, roughly how old were you then? I don't, uh, the year doesn't really matter, but, but you're unemployed. Your wife's going through all this cancer and recurrence. We were, we were 27 years old. Oh goodness. So it was like, it was like 78, mm. 77, 78. And mm. um, yeah, yeah. Crazy to, to be a young husband, young dad, young with a couple of little girls. And uh, yep. so it was, it was, uh, it was it was quite a time, and um, then you know some pretty you know I was actively talking my faith at school, and um, in, the, in the spring of 1984, uh, the pastor of my church asked me if I would be on a committee that our church was going to partner with another church and expand their very 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 small Christian school and open classes on our church property. And you want me to know if I would help do the search for a principal. And uh, by that time, I was in an administrative role in, uh, in a 
seven, eight, nine junior high in my school district. And, and, um, I just said, sure. And so, uh, got on the committee and the same guy that said, gave me the Romans eight twenty eight passage a few years before this time we walked out of this first meeting and he said, Rick, have you thought about applying for this job? <laughs> I said, I said, no, because I was making about $50,000 and they were offering 20 and I had two little girls, one in kindergarten, one was about to start kindergarten. And, uh, and he says, well, you know, I just want you to get, have some peace about that. <laughs> and wow. I couldn't get it off my mind. And so Barb and I talked about it and prayed about it. And I finally, I talked to my, none of my public school friends encouraged me to do it. None of them. They would say, you're committing career suicide, Rick. Don't do this. So I applied for the position. And uh, probably in April, May, I had an interview. I came home from the interview and I told Barb, I said, man, I have such peace about this. They'll never hire me because they asked me to report to the, to the elementary principal from the other campus. And he's not an educator. He's a pastor. And I certainly want to learn some things from him about Christian schooling, but uh, he probably needs to, some help from me on in terms of what administration looks like and what it looks like to be a principal. And, and then they would be, I told them what I made and they, they told me that, that what the salary was. And I said, I can't work for 20, but I, I would work for 30. And, uh, and my wife would say, go to work part time. And I, but I smiled and went to bed because I knew they weren't going to do it. And it's a little before midnight. I got a call from the, the chairman of their school board who offered me the job. Wow. And so that the next stage of my life, uh, for the next 28 years, I worked at Friends Christian Schools in, in Yerba California. And we grew that school from a uh, school of a couple hundred to at the high water market to preschool through eighth grade on, on two different church campuses, but two preschools and an elementary school and a middle school, junior high. We had over 1,500 students at our high water mark. And that's where I was going to be for the rest of my career. That's a large school. At the, at the school in, in Oakland, California. And everybody knew it. That was our, our church where Barbara and I had been for all those years. And we were deeply entrenched. And, and then in November of 2011, I got a call from a search company that, was, that I'd helped find some people before. Because as John knows, I've served, I served on the ACSI board. I just... I just resigned in my retired from the ACSI board that I've been a part of for 26 years, the Association of Christian Schools International. And uh, so as a result of that, I, I knew people in lots of different regions. And this headhunter called me and asked me if I knew anybody. And I said, yeah, I might send me the material. And so they sent me stuff. So I printed it, set it on the desk in my home office and never going really looked at it. And when I got home from school that night, um, Barbara had been tidying up the office and she never takes the time to investigate my school stuff. She just kind of puts things in order for me. And, but this time she looked at it. And so she asked me about it. And I, I said, I have some school in Annapolis looking for a new superintendent head of school. And she said, have you read this? And I said, no. And she says, Rick, this is you. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? It's me. And she said, I'm reading this profile and I feel like I'm reading your bio. 
And I said, Barbara, that's crazy. Three thousand miles away. It's cold there. You, know? you, you said, you said, honey, hang on a second. Look down. You're in Southern California. This is in Annapolis, <laughs> Maryland. Are you kidding me? That's it, man. And that and you're it. and you're at that point. You're about sixty years old, right? I was. Yeah. I was. I was going to be 60. Kind of the last and, thing on your mind is, is a move across the country. Yeah. And I, and I had, I'd never thought about leaving to do something like this. And, um, but she says, what if this is what God wants us to do? And I very flippantly said, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds so much like something I would say. Oh my gosh, John. And then she just looked at me and, and this is the other part of it. Same church for 40 plus years, school for 28. Both our daughters taught in the school system. My granddaughter was there. Our kids, our girls lived within two miles of us. They were, you know, we went to church together, even though they were married and so forth. We would meet at church, go to lunch together every Sunday. We were in every part of us was entrenched there. And, and she said, well, would you at least pray? And I began by praying that she that God would get it out of her head, but it was clear that that <laughs> wasn't. And so I think I think God gave us Christmas vacation, where we really had some focused conversations. So at the end of that, I applied for the position. And, uh, and here's the other thing that, and I'll kind of wrap up with this. The other part of it that's crazy is I applied. I had a phone interview that that went well, and so they invited me to come back, and I was one of three or four candidates that they were going to be interviewing. And uh, I decided, you know, if you're getting serious, I better find out something about the school. So I called the guy that was in charge of the Christian schools in the Northeast, somebody I'd known a bunch of years. I just wanted to get his take on the school. And so I asked him and he started laughing. He says, Kenton, they'll never hire you. <laughs> you know, you're, you're from Southern California. You know, everybody's a dude. You know, that you t- when you talk to people, everybody's a dude. I can, I can attest to that. Yeah, every activity is a gig. And he says, plus, there's some players up here that are that are going to have a, their shot. And so I, I felt, all right, I'm being obedient. You know, I'm stepping into this, but I'm going to, the door's going to get closed, and I'll be off the hook, and I can go back to where I'm loved and known. And, and um, so I went through that process, came back here for interviews. They were very comprehensive. They, uh, they're former superintendent had left in October and now it's February. And so they had operated without a superintendent for that whole, most of that school year. And because it took a couple of days for them to do their interviews, I was the first one they interviewed. And I was pretty sure that they'd forget all about me by the time they finished. And I got a call at the beginning of March that um, it was between me and somebody else, me and a young guy. And <laughs> so come back and so the, I came back and the, the, the next interview was, was on Good Friday, right before Easter. And uh, here's yet a crazy part of it. I'm in my hotel room getting ready to, to, to meet with the board. And uh, I get a phone call from our realtor. We had put our house up for sale in October. We lived in the house for 40 years. And it was time for us to, to downsize. And... Uh, terrible time in the market. So we had lots of offers. None of them were, were good offers. And so my realtor calls and says, Hey, Rick, you're not going to believe what just happened. We just got an offer for the full price of your home. And these people are putting 50% down. I said, he said, this thing's done. 
And so I literally fell to my knees and I said, okay, Lord, I feel like you're telling me this is it. But now this school needs to choose me. And <laughs> if I'm competing against some 40 year old, I'm certainly at a disadvantage in terms of I'm not going to be here for 20 years. And, uh, or, or if they make you run a mile and compete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so we, uh, they interviewed me Friday and Saturday, and I flew home on Easter Sunday. And then Barbara and I went out to Palm Springs. It was our Easter week spring break back in California. And didn't hear anything Monday, didn't hear anything Tuesday and Wednesday. I uh, didn't hear anything until late that night. We were at dinner in a restaurant. It was 8.30 in California, so 11.30 back in Maryland. And it's the chairman of their school board, and he calls, and I've got on speaker at their table, and he says, uh, hi, Rick, I'm here with the school board. And this is how he starts. He says, and we would just really like to thank you for being involved in this process. And so both Barbara and I just fell, you know, we, yeah. we didn't get the job. And his very next breath, he says, and we'd like to offer you the position as our next head of school. And so, so, so they're wow. waiting for my response. And this is what I said to him. I said, dude, you had me all over a no. And so they all started laughing. <laughs> Except this, there was a pastor in the group. And, and he said, uh, Rick, no one has ever called the chairman of the board, dude. <laughs> And then somebody else said, but I'm pretty sure it's not the last time. And the rest is history. And here, um, here you are. There I am. So we began here in Annapolis, the Annapolis Area Christian School in July, 1st of July in 2012. Just completed my ninth year. I had a five-year contract. I signed another five-year contract. I have one year left on my contract. And we've agreed on an 11th year that would be Part of it remote because over the course of this time, we've identified what we're going to retire. And so, as you know, John, we're at, that's going to be in Mesquite, Nevada, which is 80 miles outside of Las Vegas and right near the Utah border. But, um, so, well, that's what, what a story. What I, yeah, I, you know, I don't think I've heard it all in one at one time. I want to ask you, Rick, they, I want to say this the school itself, and I work with lots of schools all over the country, but that campus in particular, and and then secondarily, or maybe primarily, the culture that has been built there. And, and I know you're going to give the credit to a lot of people around you, but it is just special. And I, I, I don't know how to describe it, but every place to me has a culture and you can feel it. And you've got elegant buildings, you know, your grounds are beautiful, well-maintained. I mean, it's just, it's just a beautiful part of the country, isn't it? And you've also, when when I've met your your leadership team, and and even I'll never forget the, I think she was a calculus teacher. We were doing a tour one time, and and I think it was my first tour of the campus, and and we stopped, and she she started this this explanation of the school and her passion for the school, and and we walked away, and I looked at you and said, "Wow, you you have them staged everywhere," and you said, "No, he she has no idea who you are or why you're here." And I thought, wow, what a special place. And then, you know, I've been to chapel meetings and sessions rather and, and uh, met lots of people there. It's just a, it's a special place. And I, it's called Annapolis Area Christian Schools and, it, and it's a um, Christian school and it's got multiple campuses 
I've been to all of them. It is a special place and there's some special things going on. I, I, I could go on and I, I don't want to squander our time, but one of the things I noticed when during my first visit, I came from the airport and I got there early and, and was waiting for you in kind of a common area outside the administrative offices that, that at that time, I think we we're planning on meeting on the second floor. And I, I saw students kind of wandering around and sitting in at tables and chairs and they were quiet and courteous. You kind of you can kind of get a feel for a school's culture by the demeanor of the people you you kind of encounter informally, and and I was just impressed with that. And and I remember asking you later, who were those students? And you said, you know, we we give our our students who are doing the right things, is how you said it. When they're, I think you said when they're seniors, it might have been eleventh and twelfth grade, but mm-hmm. it, it was at least seniors. And you said we give them some some latitude and let them when they, when they don't have something going on, they can, they can hang out in some of these common areas. And I thought who in the world does that? And then we, then we walked over to the area where they have lunch and it was the neatest experience. They were being kids. You, they were allowed to, to express themselves, to have fun, but you could tell they had kind of a sense of responsibility and decorum. And, and I, I remember uh, walking by several students and you had been there a couple of years by then, but you, you called them by their first name and you knew their stories. And as we would, after we would encounter them and you'd introduce me, you'd tell me a little bit about who they are. How in the world do you do that? I think you know them all, uh, um, at least the vast majority of your students, you know, you know them and something about them. And that doesn't happen by accident when you're the superintendent, the, the head of the school. How do you do that? Well, you know, something I think, um, I think that's something that God's God gifted me in that area where I've always been able to do that in my entire career. And even today, when I, I started my career in, in 1973 and as a public school teacher, and I have former students that I'm friends with on Facebook and stuff like that. that and then sometimes they'll ping me or will, they'll friend me and, uh, and they'll say things to me like, do you remember me? And I always, God's been able to help remind me about specifics about these, I say kids, but they're, some of them are in their 60s now because <laughs> I was I was 22 when I started teaching they were 18 my seniors were wow and so I at the high school which is where my office is and even I visit the other campuses I would say the high school is the place where I I probably know the most names because I'm interacting and walking around campus here the most I try to know as many names as I'm able to I can say that as I've aged I at my at my former school in California I I had a dual job for most of my time there where I was the middle school principal and the superintendent of our system. And our middle school had over 400 kids. And I made a commitment to our the kids at the beginning of the year that, that at the first chapel in, in October, I basically about a month after school started, I would go in chapel. I would go by every student in every grade and, and announce their name in public. Mm. And I was able to do that. And then after, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, where I, I had to move the date. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, I've, uh, I've seen you do this, though. I, I, I watched you at uh, chapel. I watched you stand in an aisle and students file by and you said hello. And it wasn't just a, you know, it wasn't a, a greeting line. It was it was a hello. How are you? And, and what's going on? And so there's a there's a concerted effort. I mean, it, it is. I think of so many things about when I was hearing your story for the 
I don't know, maybe pieces of it for the 10th time uh, today. I made some notes and I, I, I was thinking about your tenacity, how, you know, you just don't quit when you were talking about your knees and the, and the surgeries and the, and the rejection and all of that. And I made some other notes as well, but the, the thing that really stands out to me about Rick Kempton is a love for people. God has given you a real love for people. This isn't for people hearing this for the first time and they who don't know you, this isn't something you sort of, you know, it's not a hat you put on in the morning. It's who you are every day. And that's a, that's a God given gift. And wow. I mean, what a blessing. I, I do have a question for you though. You, you said something kind of interesting. You said at some point in your story, you said it was, it was recognizing for you, a turning point for you was recognizing who Jesus is. And that strikes a chord with me because that recognition, after growing up in a Christian home, for me, going through the motions as a young adult, I'll call it that, Mm -hmm. and it was this who God is, but specifically who Jesus Christ is, that finally, thankfully, occurred to me and was life-changing. Can you talk about that just for a moment? What what do you mean when you say it was that recognition of, of who Jesus is? I think the most the most monumental influence. I think there's there's were probably a number of of contributing experiences over the course of my adult, you know, from eighteen into into my late twenties. But certainly Barbara's diagnosis of cancer and I'm thinking of the man. I'm thinking. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm thinking of the man who who read Romans eight twenty eight to you in the parking lot. He, 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 I mean, he sounds like a central figure during this period. It was. His name was Gordon McKay. Gordon McKay is in heaven today, but uh, he was an, a public elementary school principal. He remained a, a, a key person in my life uh, from that time forward. He passed away just a few years ago. And I think that the thing that happened with Barb and the way that she responded to it was was really the, the, um, the, she became immersed in this sense of calling that she's supposed to tell people about Jesus as a result of her, her, her cancer and her surgeries and all this stuff. And, and she, even to this day, she's looking for the opportunity to talk about Jesus. And I would say in my, in my everyday school world, I'm certainly, actively doing that, but she's far more present with that mindset and heart set out in public every day than I am. Mm-hmm. I'll just say once we were in a restaurant years ago and the, we were sitting across from each other in a booth and there were two ladies in the booth behind me. And it was clearly within earshot that one of them was crying and explaining our situation to the other one. And, and I could tell that Barb was paying more attention to that than to what we were doing. Right. And, and so when we got finished, she says, I have to go talk to her. And I said, no, you don't. And she says, I have to go tell her about Jesus. And I said, I'm going to pay the bill. And so I got up <laughs> and walked to the, walked to the cash register. And she went over and she knelt, kneeled down next to this lady and they, and they talked and the other one kind of entered into the conversation. And then as I'm standing, you know, 
20 feet away and she says, there's my husband. He's a pastor. Can he come pray for you? So she drugged me into the, which, you know, I'm ashamed to say it that way, but you know, I would have, I would have left, but oh, she, yeah. the, other woman, the other woman, the other woman happened to be a Mormon and she was directing her to her, her Mormon church or whatever they call it. And Barbara was inviting her to our church and to a grief. She, her husband left her and just divorced her. And, and she, so he, she was talking to her about our divorce recovery ministry we had. And so I prayed with her and, but that kind of openness, I've seen her do the same thing in a supermarket. I've seen her do it on vacation at the beach, by a pool, in a conversation. I mean, in our new place that we're, we're moving to in Mesquite, Nevada, she's already, she's been there just a few months. She's already started a Bible study. And, and so we're in this together. And I think we, our, our, our collective experiences have emerged her gift of evangelism and have heightened my sensitivity to, you know, my focus on the person of Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I can tell you that I'm thinking about my wife as you're telling this story and she is similarly wired and gifted. And there's a, there's an elegance to the way they go about that. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not off putting in your face, screaming with a bullhorn. It's not clumsy. It seems kind and compassionate and appropriate. And that is a gift. I agree. And and I I would say this, Rick, I'm going to ask you, I got one more question for you quickly, and then I've got an observation. But just simply, when you told your story, you didn't tell all of your story, because we'd be here for a long time. But you, (laughs) you, you left out some of the adversity that I know, I mean, I know about some other knee surgeries as an older adult and some, mm-hmm. and some other things. I, I know that Rick Kempton has dealt with adversity and that, that brings me to the comment I want to make. And then I'll, I'm going to let you respond to this. When I met you, you didn't know this, but I had a uh, torn meniscus. I think I might've told you mm-hmm. and I had some things going on there and I was, I'm a colon cancer survivor. And I, I kind of talked about that and, we, yep. You and I sort of exchanged war stories, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of watched you run upstairs in in the, in the in the high school building. I'm thinking, this guy's older than me, and I can't keep up. Are you kidding? And I knew about your surgeries, and you followed up that meeting by, we did some work together, and then you encouraged me repeatedly, particularly at uh, ACSI conferences, I'd bump into you, or or at a meeting here or there, or just and really sporadically over over a long period of time, and I I just want to tell you that that made a difference. You impact other people's lives. I get to teach at a Christian school today, uh, just just sort of a couple of days a week, but but mm-hmm. impacting a lot of students. And you're one of those role model. I never would have thought I would do that. And this is year seven, and you're one of those guys who impacted me early in the work I do with schools across the country, but specifically with this passion for teaching and even more specifically for overcoming adversity. And I don't say that any of those things lightly. I'm pretty certain that because you're on this earth, you're a depraved sinner just like I am. But but the impact that God has had in your life and, and the way you've been gifted and the way you employ those gifts 
you actually, you mentioned the word dude, you do use it more per minute than anybody I know. <laughs> but I have a physician friend here in Orlando who uses it too. And, and he, he's, we're, we're all about the same age. So I'm fond of him as well. But Rick Kempton is not a laid back guy who just goes with the flow. You live a purposeful life and one that has, by God's grace, and you're trusting in him, overcome adversity. There's a truth that I think about often, regardless of kind of what I'm doing, because it surfaces often in me, and that is we naturally are self-reliant sinners. And we, even our good works sometimes, are driven by this selfish desire. And yet you live a life that is all about serving others, glorifying God, and loving your neighbor as yourself. I know there were some keys in your story, but is there something in particular in Scripture? Is there a biblical concept? Is there theological truth that we could just end this discussion on that, that means, I know I'm just catching you off guard, but, but I was struck by this in your story. What sort of principle or principles inform you and result in you living this way all these years? Well, I, th- I think it's it's probably a combination of things. I claimed a life verse many years ago, Matthew six thirty three, of seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will shall be coming coming to you to help me with my priorities of wanting to keep keep Him first. Um, you know, Hebrews chapter eleven, where we get the, the definition of faith. You know, faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you cannot see. Hebrews eleven one, and then the whole chapter is about all these people that were everyday people that God called and none of them ever got to see the fruit of their obedience. Mm. And that's inspiring to me that, and I think, you know, both my parents were overcomers in their own lives. They both came out of situations where uh, my mom lived in a, in a dozen different foster homes by the time she was starting high school. Oh, I didn't know that. uh, Yeah. She, her mother left her in her crib when she was three mm. and and my mom never saw her again until I was 17 years old. And I watched my mom embrace this lady who had abandoned her. And my dad had a similar situation. His, his father left the home when he was eight and I didn't meet the man until I was married and had two children. And both my parents embraced these people that had deserted them. And so there were things about, I think God just, I think, and he does this for all of us. I think there's things that we can identify and see in Romans 5, 3, you know, we, we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. Mm. You know, there's just, there's so many of the, the Romans eight twenty eight verse that the old guy gave me. There's so many of those verses that over the course of my life, they've all, contributed to to this and 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 so I just I think my life experiences and and the people that have been mentored towards to me have helped me to you know to, to create a life that you know my deal as long as I've been doing the school gig <laughs> has been has been Christ and kids yeah you know that's that's what inspires me and I, and even in my public setting in those early days of public school experience, I just always cared about kids. Students knew that. Yep. They, they see right through us, don't they? 
They, they, they do. They, they, know, they, they, they know, know what, they know what we're about. So it's hard for me that there's key people that God sprinkled in and through my life and, you know, one or two that were significant. Yeah. Sounds like it starts with a biblical foundation, like knowing scripture with key scriptures meaning a lot to you and then trusting God imperfectly, but then he directs our path. Yeah, I think, and I think I have had a number of opportunities to discover the truth in Romans eight twenty eight, because what I've discovered is truth, God's truth, you know, doesn't always come with a hug. You know, exactly and right. in my first inter- in my first introduction to that verse, you know, I wanted a hug, but the truth is, all things, all, all, all things. Not some things, not most things, all things. And so I think those things, God brought those into my life at times where certainly abruptly with Barbara's cancer. And then over the course of my life, you know, when I when I ended up not going to the Christian college and ending up in a community college, I would have never met my wife. We've been married 49 years. Mm. I would have never met Barbara. You know, so that, you know, that at that time I'm thinking, why did you do this to me, God? Well, I look back at it and say, thank you, God. Yeah. You, you know, you introduced me to the love of my life. Well, what a, what so a, what a blessing. It's hard to name just one thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you, you did. Thanks. You did. It's more nuanced than that, isn't it? It's As Americans, we like... We like to have three or five steps in a process, but, <laughs> but but God's path, this path that you've been on, this one of being informed by Scripture, has kind of prologued all these experiences, and then and then trusting Him. And uh, I love the description of your cross country move on a human level. That had to be difficult because I know your family is close, and those girls that you mentioned a couple of times are close to you and important to you. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm grateful that you're going to, in retirement, uh, going to get to be uh, closer to them. You're you're probably not going to ever fully retire. You'll always be engaged in something. But I've, t- I've taken so much yep. of your time. appreciate your being so gracious. I hope our listeners will look you up, uh, Rick Kempton. And I know you're on some social media. And I, if you're in the Annapolis area, uh, Annapolis Area Christian School is a great alternative to educate your children in a, in a Christ-centered environment. And you do pretty well with athletics and uh, the arts and all kinds of things. What a, what a well-rounded uh, place with a good culture, one that I would be comfortable with our daughter being in. So, Rick, thank you for being here. It has really been a joy, and your transparency is just so refreshing. Well, John, been a privilege to, to participate in this. I, aside from uh, the time we just spent, uh, you're my friend, and wow. I've valued our friendship over these years. And so, thank you. Well, thank you, and I, I agree. I'm grateful for you. So, uh, folks, if you would like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth, we would appreciate it. And our website again is johnwarrenmedia.com. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com 
or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.